Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So we're going to talk about the Dharma today, <laughs> and that's a broad name for the, the truth of the way things are, or nature in some way. And, you know, when different teachers come through, we have slightly different language and ways of talking about it, but hopefully there's something consistent uh, that you're hearing too. And I understand that how we talked about uh, the three pillars of Dharma last time, and included one of the aspects that I want to talk about today, uh, which is about sila. Sila or the ethical fabric of the universe. So some of you already want to leave now because you're at church and some of you want to talk about morality and out. That's what I've, I've been trying to avoid all this time. <laughs> I heard John Cabot say that mindfulness is non-judgmental, so none of this sounds all judgy. But yeah, actually it's it's a, a aspect of the truth of the way things are, it seems, and there's something um, comforting about it too. That there is some quality of the way that we are with each other and the way that the world is that matters. So I was just teaching a, a couple of retreats. Uh, one was a month-long retreat at Spirit Rock in March. Uh, and some of those people had been there for two months, so February and March. Um, in fact, there might be some people in this room that were recently liberated from that. Uh, <laughs> so it was a beautiful thing to get to sit with people for so long. And I did the last part of March part. And so uh, people, some of them had been there for already um, a month when we started, and two months by the end. And one of the things that, that happens in these uh, longer retreats, and sometimes also in shorter retreats, or perhaps even in this 40 minutes we spend, is that people end up going through some kind of like life review, where they start remembering things from their life that they've done, and things that have been done to them. And it can, the real can start from what happened today. That's probably what played in this last 40 minutes. Sometimes you can go back, you know, what happened this last week or month, uh, but if you sit long enough, basically everything unravels of things that you did in your childhood, and things that were done to you. And if you pay attention, you know, we're, we're trying to, to attend to, to thought, to knowing thought as thought. But it also can help sometimes to understand something about, like, well, what's the, what's the scent of these different aspects? And one of the things that you can notice is that a lot of it that we remember that seems to have a very deep imprint on our being is times when people hurt us or times when we hurt other people. So it's not even just the times that we were caught doing something. You know, it could be that nobody even caught you doing that, but in some way, like you caught yourself. You, know, you caught yourself and that was in there in some way and you relived that in extreme technicolor, excruciating detail. 
ago. You know, both the times when you did something that you now later regret, or when someone else did something to you. So if this happens to you in meditation, or if this has happened to you, this is very normal, and in some ways, uh, I think it's part of kind of a process of purification, or truing up of our being. You know, there's a way in which we become very uh, kind of dissociated from life, or disconnected, and in these moments, it's easy for us to hurt each other. And then as we sit, we're actually kind of collecting back, we're actually kind of remembering, collecting back the members of our being, our heart, and all the little pieces that we chipped off and left in little corners all during the day or during our life. But they're not totally gone. It's kind of like they, they like reel back in, with the measuring tapes that come back in. But as they come back in, this, this discharge, this remembering of this stuff, and for some people, sometimes they relive things with a new wisdom too, like understanding, like, oh, that was actually a painful thing. I didn't notice at the time it was painful, but it was painful. Yeah. And I remember remembering like something that I did in grade school, sometime when I called someone a name. And in the memory of it, it was clear that the reason I did that was some fear. And it was like, oh, these other kids were going to turn on me, so I turned on someone else. You know, this kind of thing. But I saw that, both the pain of myself, and then I saw the pain in the other child's eyes. You know, when I kind of turned the attention on them in that way. And had to feel that burden of that, in this way that at the time I couldn't or didn't or didn't want to. So part of what this tells us is, yeah, yeah when, we, when we become more quiet and sensitive and, and paying attention, we notice that these things do matter and that this is part of the lawful nature of, of who we are as people and of the way things work. So when uh, people are on retreat also for these periods of time, you're being quiet and not talking to each other and kind of interacting gently with each other. And you can see the impact that has on each other and even on the animals there. So some of you have probably been up to uh, Spear Rock Meditation Center, which is where we were, and um, you know, there's wild animals there, like deer and turkey and lizards and so on. And, uh, but particularly the deer and the turkeys are very chill out there. You know, they're, they're actually not that afraid of you. Like, it's not like it's a petting zoo or anything, but they, uh, they also don't have the usual fear, like, someone's going to hurt me if I see a human being. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to experience, even from the side of the human being. Uh, like, oh, what it's like to live in some harmony when there's not a sense of fear of uh, you're going to be aggressive towards me or uh, harm me in some way. So these, these uh, aspects of, of the sila, or the, the pointing to the ethical nature of uh, our universe, there's five different ones that the Buddha particularly pointed to for us to pay attention. And in this tradition, they're taken as trainings. You know, they're like trainings for our heart. They're energetic kind of PowerPoints, whereas human beings, living beings, we have some opportunity and we can do a lot of damage in that moment. You know, it's like we have this power, or it's a potential for a lot of freedom. So this first one is about the sense of aggression and violence. And 
to undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. Refrain from killing, particularly, but also harming. And even how different would our city be if that was the case? You know, if we all were able to take that and live by that, uh, both in our interactions with people we know, people we don't know. I was just in a um, place watching the women's uh, basketball, college women's basketball finals, uh, UConn versus Syracuse. Um, UConn was winning by a lot. Uh, and, uh, but I'm such a dedicated Dover teacher, I left before the end to come to <laughs> teach her group. Uh, but on other TVs were other sports, and so then there was some ice hockey thing happening, and uh, many of them, and periodically it turned from the basketball, and people were just beating each other up, you know, on the ice. And this is part of the, the deal that it was like, wow, that's, uh, it's so condoned within our society in certain ways for this to happen. And it's painful, and it's painful for any of us to be on either end of that, to be the one beaten, certainly, but this is suggesting that actually also to be the one doing the beating is actually a violence. We're doing violence to the other living being and to our own heart. So to pay attention when that urge arises. And for many of you, you might feel like, oh, I never do that. But just think about if you ever get cut off in traffic, or you're crossing the street, or riding your bike, and someone gets too close, and the urge might arise, right? even if you don't necessarily uh, act on it. So it's helpful to be really honest with yourself and pay attention to that, to not pretend, like, oh, I go to Howie's Dorm room, so I don't have any of that very spiritual. And actually allow yourself to notice when that comes up and be really honest with yourself and feel the burn of that. Feel how that arises, what it's like. It's only if we actually feel what that's like can we face it and then learn how to work with that energy. So the second one is um, pointing to being aware of the energy of grasping or greed or grabbing. So I undertake the training to refrain from taking what's not offered. So when we want to steal something, basically, even I'd say, like, get more than our share. So this, too, is endemic in the world. It's actually encouraged by our society that you get happier by getting more stuff. And here's also a way in which sometimes the fabric of this universe is, is not always completely matched by the way that our laws are. Yes, really there are laws against stealing and so on, but uh, I think about the, uh, the stuff that just came out in the news is the Panama Papers. It's like you know, revealed like large amounts of wealth stashed in completely kind of legal ways of shell companies and so on. And, um, in some ways it shouldn't be a surprise. That's how our systems are set up in these ways that are inequitable. But there's something heartbreaking. It's like, well, you walk around the streets and there are people who don't have enough to eat and don't have places to live. And yet, there's these phantom stashes of potential benefit for all. You know? So for yourself, just notice like that arising of this urge to, to get things, to, to acquire, and particularly the greed that comes that even surpasses what harm this is going to cause to another. Yeah. So notice that. 
So third one is around our sexual energy. So I undertake the training to refrain from sexual harm, sexual misconduct, harming myself and others using my sexuality. So when we were on the retreat, everyone was practicing as kind of monastics uh, for that little period, like temporary monastics, uh, celibate. And it's not like any of these people were actually, actually one person was an actual monastic, the rest were all lay people. So this is a challenge, like, well, how do I deal with this energy, this very strong animal energy that arises in some way that is um, skillful, that's both not repressing it, but not blowing it out in a way that doesn't pay attention to how it impacts other people. And it's a, like many of these, it's a very um, intricate, interesting, complicated, beautiful, and sometimes uh, pain-laden path to learn about this. You know, we learn about this from the time we're children, recognizing what's true about this for ourselves and how we can act in the world, how others act toward us. So an area of great beauty and healing, potentially, through how we are with our sexuality, but then also a potential area of a lot of pain and harm, too. So fourth one is um, also paying attention to an area of significant potential, and that's about speech. So I undertake the training to refrain from unwise, unwholesome speech. And there's four components to this. So avoiding false speech, so that's avoiding lying. Avoiding harsh and abusive speech, so like yelling at people and cursing them. Um, avoiding slander and gossip, so uh, talking badly about this person to that one. And then the fourth one, which may be the hardest and most nuanced, is uh, avoiding unnecessary speech. So idle chatter. Uh, so I've heard this acronym called WAIT, like why am I talking? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good, good one. That was not from the Buddha. So. <laughs> And then the fifth one is, uh, I undertake the training to refrain from substances that will cloud the mind and the heart. So uh, with this, is paying attention to your relationship to alcohol or traditional drugs. And, um, mainly it's not, in this tradition, it's basically like, if you're trying to be more awake and aware, and if you have the intention to not harm people, then you might have that very strong intention, but if you take too much drugs, if you take alcohol, like you might forget that. You might do things you later regret. And many people have both done, had done to them things that were uh, painful or harmful when someone themselves or others under the influence. Like something you might uh, be ashamed of later, or something you might um, not have done had you been sober. So it's just good to pay attention to that and to be really honest with yourself about place of alcohol drugs in your life and how that impacts yourself and others. So those are the, the five main ones and they're presented like trainings, not like um, commandments. Um, but there's one other aspect that I want to mention, which is uh, something that they're called the bright guardians of the world. And usually in the teaching there is some discernment with different states of the mind and heart mental states, you could say, between wholesome and unwholesome. So 
So skillful and skillful. So usually when we act from a place of recognizing our connection with others and being more aware and sensitive, we tend to act in accordance with these uh, the sila, these ethical guidelines. And we tend to recognize that, oh, if I cause pain to someone, like, that's not something I would like to have happen to me. Uh, so we naturally refrain from that. These right guardians are these two particular kinds of uh, mental states that you might otherwise mistake to be unwholesome, but according to the path of practice, the path of learning, uh, they're actually your friends, they're helpful ones. And in Pali, they're called uh, Hiri and Otapa. And there's not great translations for them, but I'll do my best now. They're both in the realm of conscience, you could say, like having a conscience. And Hiri is the part of conscience that has to do with uh, your own kind of inner uh, compass that makes you shrink away from doing something that you feel like is not right, that would be harmful. So even if you're on the brink of doing something and you're like, ah, oh, no, like not a good idea. So it's from your own uh, sense of goodness and wholeness that this comes. Uh, and I think it's helpful to point out that it's really different than a sense of guilt, uh, where it's like, well, here's a me, and I'm going to flagellate myself for doing something. So this is more just a recognition, very purely, of different states arising and what is connected, what is wise, what is wholesome, helpful, and what is not. The second part of it, the otapa part, is uh, has to do with conscience also, but. Uh, the part of conscience that recognizes, okay, I don't want to do this thing because there will be negative ramifications from it. So both if people knew about this, uh, I wouldn't like that, uh, but also this will have negative implications down the road in the moment and further on. So that's a kind of conscience that's oriented towards, uh, you could say, external, like recognizing the causality of that and how people might see you, that you didn't want them to see you, or uh, even negative consequences of getting caught doing something, and how that would play out. Uh, so this is also considered helpful to us. And until we're completely free of such urges, this is considered kind of like bumper guards on our mind and heart. You know? Like, you're close to the end, but you get like, bounced back. A metaphor that's used for these uh, in the there's this one commentator from the Buddha, Buddha says, it's like you have an iron rod, and Hiri and Otapa are like the two ends of the stick. So Hiri is like, um, if the iron rod on one side is coated in excrement, aka shit, so you don't want to touch that end. It's like shrinking away from your own compass, like, ooh, like I don't want to do that thing. Like, and then the other side of the rod is red hot, uh, burning metal. So also, you don't want to touch it, but you don't want to touch it because you know it's going to burn you and hurt you. So this is really the metaphor that's used in the These teachings is like, iron rod is shit on one side, burning hot on the other. helps you to avoid doing things that you later regret. So again, you know, it's, it's different than a sense of guilt or, um, or shame in the way of the wisdom of the teachings is also not rec recognizing that there's not one solid, permanent me. 
it's, it's different than a, like a judging that has to do with judging a person, like you are good or bad. So it's more like this sense of wisdom starts to tune in more and more to what is aligned with uh, truth or with wholeness or with love and what is out of alignment with that. And so in any moment there can be some recognition of what's out of alignment and then uh, letting go of that. So there's, there's a lack of a sense of like, here's me and I'm bad and I need to suffer for it. Uh, at the same time, like after you do something or if something comes up that you feel like, ah, oh, like, that was really a terrible thing, then actually allow yourself to feel the burn of that, but only so you can uh, take some kind of intention not to do that again. And this is like for our own benefit and the benefit of others. And all of us have a room for growth, you know, in, all, in, in some area or another around everything that I talked about. Like it could be for many people in speech, could have some area for attention, but really in anything. Uh, I have actually not met a human being who has not had some area for growth and learning in this. And, uh, by now I've gotten to meet many uh, famous and spiritual people. Yeah. <laughs> All of us have some, some room for learning. So you could notice how this is in your life. If you like to take this up as, um, as trainings, it can be a very interesting thing to do, a helpful thing to do, to just attend to one of these and, yeah, how does this show up in my life? Uh, how does it show up? How do I observe this externally? Uh, and what's the impact on myself and others? Uh, it really is pointing us to um, also the connection between sort of internal and external and how they're not separate. Uh, can be a place of great freedom and uh, teaching us to live from a place of love and connection uh, that can help make our lives better and better and contribute to the uh, improvement of the lives of those around us and actually more broadly speaking freedom from suffering in the world too. So I'll offer the, that brief uh, teaching for you. Thank you for your attention. And I'm happy to answer any questions about this or even any other Dharma topics or meditation. You know, 
it's not just like, oh, show up at church for an hour and that's your training. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually like all the time we're planting seeds and we're training our hearts and minds in some way or another. And we're planting karmic seeds that could bloom one way or the other. So particularly the way that we habitually do that, and most of us spend most of our time, our waking time at work rather than doing anything else, is like attend to that and try to do something that's Ideally good, if not good, neutral, right? and then try to avoid the stuff that is requiring you to actually uh, do something against this uh, kind of alignment. So there's, there's kind of like the bright line uh, precept, such as like not killing, right? But then there's sort of the broader one, which is okay, not harming. And then it's like, on the positive side, can we actually act in ways that are uh, kind and uh, protective of people? So then with this one around uh, the second one, the bright line one is like not stealing stuff, like not taking the sun off and paying attention to that urge to do that. Uh, I brought that out to include like when do we have more than we need, and most of us do in some way or another, you know, uh, including even just like stuff, right? Like how much stuff do we have? Uh, one of my friends is a, a Christian activist, and she says, you know, the shoe, the second pair of shoes in your closet are your brother's shoes, like the, the extra clothes in your closet are your sister's clothes, you know, stuff like that. It's like, oh, it doesn't seem like it's hurting anyone, but there are people without that. Uh, so that may be a more radical take on it, but there's a way in which that can be seen to be true. Right? Um, and with that, I recognize that cultivating generosity is a very helpful and important part of the path. And also, uh, renunciation can bring freedom. You know, like understanding what it is that we really need and then the will of what we do. So it's, it's helpful to, to look at that yeah, even in terms of your work and um, how things play out. And I think as Americans, we have significant cultural conditioning to the other side. <laughs> yeah, get as much as you can, and that's the recipe for well-being. But uh, if you look at the lives of the rich and famous, it doesn't actually seem to be working out that way. So. <laughs> Not necessarily. more slowly 
And I had to say a sentence and then pause, and then the person would translate, and then I had to say another sentence. And it made me realize how, uh, how much more careful I was being with my speech in that context, even as a teacher, in which I am trying to be careful with my speech. So I think there's always different areas for us to attend to in that. For monastics, they have like very tight rules around that, like what they're not supposed to talk about. Like they're not supposed to talk about elections or <laughs> politics or uh, any kind of frivolous topics. That basically they're supposed to talk about the Dharma, right? So as a layperson, we're not as uh, hemmed in by that. But we can just notice, uh, like, what's the effect of what we're saying or how much we're saying? In some ways, there's also like some something connected to the taking what's more than we need, you know, space-wise or verbally in conversations. Um, some people tend to be pretty quiet and shy, and so if the people who talk a lot fill up the space, those other people never kind of join in in some way. Also, there are very subtle things to pay attention to about, um, you know, this why am I talking? Like, oh, am I trying to create a sense of myself? Am I talking because I'm nervous? Which is kind of like eating because I'm bored or nervous? You know, am I just talking to fill up the space? Because uh, I'm un uncomfortable with silence? Am I trying to impress someone in you know, this moment? Uh, so I think starting to pay attention to what's the, the mind states that are driving us to speak can be a really interesting place to attend to. And then you can try as experiments like taking some kinds of renunciation in that speech. You know, playing with these in some way in your life can be kind of fun. Like, okay, if I, if I enter a conversation, I'm gonna try and first ask a question before I start telling people something. Yeah. And ask a question and then listen. Or sometimes you could even say, I'm gonna ask three questions you know, before I actually start talking. And, um, and you have to be careful you're not disguising your talking about yourself as a question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can experiment with that and see, like, well, what's, what's the impact here? Even just in some different conversations, what's the percentage of time I talk versus listening? Um, what do I talk about, and is it helpful or necessary? Sometimes we talk to people about things that seem kind of like not important, but there's some way in which we're um, building connection. You know, it's kind of like wagging our tails at each other, like to talk about the weather or something. But other times it seems like, oh, it may be driven by something else. So it's good to check it out.
Yeah, so that's a bit about like guilt in relationship to this kind of uh, hearing or tapas stick with the uh, excrement and the burning hot. Well, it seems to me that it's more effective for the uh, to not want to touch it, the excrement side because that means it's coming from within the vaccine. It's not just that I'm afraid of something. Right. And so I'm wondering if there's anything in the teachings about um, how you internalize how the public prohibition yeah, I mean, basically, like mindfulness, you know, like training in mindfulness, training in awareness. And when we're sitting here um, in you know, meditation time, we're kind of training under complete lab conditions. Like when no one's talking to you and you don't have anything else you have to do for this half hour, can I notice what arises in my heart? You know, can I notice what arises in my mind? Um, and then practice under those conditions, like, oh, aggression, like, oh, grabbiness, like, oh, sadness. Like, this is why it's called practice, too, I think, because it's really good to practice under the most simple of conditions, which then gives you some kind of chance of being able to notice when you're in motion, in action, and you're talking to people, and stuff's happening, and you're in a meeting, you're in a fight, you know, you're in art, right, all this stuff. So I'd say it's mindfulness and allowing yourself to become more and more tuned in, you know, to uh, your own heart, and then also to the heart of others. Like allowing yourself to be more uh, sensitive uh, to yourself and others. And it's interesting, you know, the idea of um, you're suggesting like, well, it's good if it comes from internal, the, the avoiding the, the excrement part, but you know, I don't want to become from a shiv. And I think there's some, there's kind of cultural overlays we have, because the other side that kind of like, um, is also considered wisdom, and also in some ways is good for you, um, because you're recognizing like, oh, if I take this thing and I get caught, then like, these will be the consequences. Even something simple, let's say like, if I floor it through the, the yellow turning red light, right? Um, so it seems like, oh, I just need to get where I want to go, it's fine, but it's like, okay, what if someone is in the crosswalk, or what if another car comes? Uh, like, if I actually hurt someone, I would feel terrible, uh, it would be bad for that person, of course, and then for their family, and then the implications of that. And, you know. So, sort of recognizing causality in some way, like uh, that is actually a helpful thing for oneself. Because in the moment, oftentimes we're just kind of self-focused, or like we gotta get what we gotta get. So it's like, oh, see the bigger picture here. Yeah, I think in some other cultures they focus more on that side of things, right? Like that, so. Um, but both the guilt or the shame are not the main part of it. It's kind of like with wisdom, recognizing causality, and then allowing yourself to tune into what is actually, like not some external um, guideline, but when you're in your most connected place of heart, you know, what feels aligned. And, the nice thing is, like, as people sit on retreat and get quieter and quieter, they don't become more and more evil and unfair. Uh, <laughs> Usually, people become more and more like gentle, and they spend time like moving earthworms off the path so that people don't step on them. And, you know, um, become extremely like emotionally uh, sensitive, and you know, hold the door for them and cry. That's very yeah, just like much more like connected in this way that sometimes like little kids are, you know, who get hurt a lot. Or, you know. 
So it's possible to feel very deeply, but also not be destroyed by it, too, to allow that flow of, uh, of connection and of feeling joy randomly and feeling sadness to be just part of the, the play of life. So I think, I feel like I should let you guys go, but if other people have questions, you can feel free to come up and talk to me too. So let's just sit for a moment and talk to me. So appreciating our opportunity to come together to practice meditation and to reflect on the Dharma. Appreciating our own good hearts. If there's some practice that you want to take up for the week to try, you can take that intention for the week. Anything you want to pay attention to or explore more in your practice or in your life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.